one has no rules is not precise. One really acts the same way twice. One spurns no device. Practicing the art of the possible. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, October 4th, 2020. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia, Michael Portantier, and Jan Simpson. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and a historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. What a glorious fall morning mm-hmm. here in New York. Mm-hmm. It is a great one. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He is the founder and editor of KestAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. And with us... For two weeks in a row, mm. Jan Simpson is here. Jan is the uh, director of the arts reporting program at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY and writes for TDF Stages, American Theater Magazine, and has her own blog at Broadway and Me. She also hosts the Broadway radio podcast, Stagecraft. Good morning, Jan. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank so you. Uh, it was a uh, quiet week. Not much happened in the news, right? Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> what are we talking about here? Real life? or? Uh... <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, uh, it, it's uh, interesting because in the last couple of weeks we've had um, we've had Broadway uh, artists join us on on this week on Broadway, but talking about their political life. And it just seems as though we have for four weeks left until Election Day here in the United States. Um and uh, the the political uh, turmoil uh, just bleeds over into our Broadway lives, which is why we talk about it so much sure. right now. Uh, we have uh, you know uh, press releases out of out of uh, equity that healthcare uh, healthcare um, pr- uh, programs for members of of equity and other Broadway uh, Broadway family members are under threat. Uh, we have mm. uh, 20 some odd thousand people laid off at Disney. A number of them are mm. performers in some way or the other that are part of our, our Broadway family and, and global theatrical community. And yet we have all these things. Uh, one of the other things that uh, we had this week is that um, Netflix has the new Boys in the Band uh, film on it, which is a bit of a political theater uh, piece, isn't it now, Peter? Yes, it certainly is. And um, I have to say that I enjoyed this um, film more than the original. I think it's it's very skillful in so many, many ways. Um, It's far more... um, cinemagraphic (laughs) Mm. um it um and not just because um we see a tiny tiny flashbacks during the scenes where all the gentlemen are describing uh the the one person they loved way back when but um i'll tell you the close-ups are marvelous um the cuts to various people's faces um are far more extensive and i found that um very fine too but 
I was amazed um, with Michael Benjamin Washington's performance as Bernard when he's on the telephone call. Uh, for those who don't know the boys in the band, it is a party that certainly doesn't turn out to be much of a party when um, the host decides that everyone will call the one person that he really loved uh, way back when. And Bernard, uh, was, who's a black man, was in love with um, the white man who was the son of the employer for which his mother was the cleaning woman. And he always loved him from afar. And there was one night when they got a little close. And... Um, but the way he describes this incident on the phone call is the best I've ever seen. I, I have seen nine productions of the boys in the band, uh, including the magnificent one that was in Boston in 1969. But <clears throat> I have to say that um, he, this rendition is so smart because, because um, he really has um, a, a an affinity with the woman he's speaking to. He doesn't get to speak to the person he loved. He gets to speak to the mother. And the way he relates to the mother is exactly the way you would expect from a lifetime of having dealt with that mother since he was a little boy. So I thought that was um, really quite uh, wonderful. You know, again, so many people come down on this property for um, being whiny and um, all that business about the gays uh, being pathetic and what have you. And again, I will go back to this state I make a lot, which is if the straight guy hadn't shown up at the party, mm. those guys would have had a great time. They mm. were dancing. They were um, joking with each other up until the guy came. Now, some people say, yeah, yeah. But what about the beginning of the play where Michael talks about um, his own um, anxieties and problems um, resulting as a gay man? Well, that is tremendously dis diminished in this um, film tremendously that's where many of the cuts come in and i think that was a wise decision mm. um made by the um screenwriter um who took over for um uh, well i don't know if he took over i don't i don't know how much of a um how much of a um interaction mark crowley had uh with um i don't know if he just handed it over does anybody know that um what exactly happened there um, I don't really know. No. Yeah. But anyway, um, so um, this gentleman who came in, uh, Ned Martell, a name unknown to me, um, if, if he's the one who made these decisions, I think they're very smart decisions. It's, um, it's funny to hear, for those of us who know the play well, it's funny to hear the updated period references. And I know that sounds like um, an oxymoron, but um, so many things would mean nothing now to so much of the audience. Um, um, Le Pavillon was mentioned as a restaurant. Now it's become Joe Allen. New Moon was mentioned as a, as a show. And now it's uh, Funny Girl. So uh, and that happened in the stage version that we uh, saw a couple mm -hmm. of years ago. So, um, but, you know, another thing about... Um, the, the 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 whininess and all that kind of business. What I what, what came home to me this time was the fact that when Michael and Alan repair to the bedroom to have a private conversation, Alan comes down hard on Emery, who's the most um, effeminate of them all. And by the way, Robin De Jesus is phenomenal as Emery. I phenomenal. I love him. Yes, so and he's even better. Uh, he seems better on uh, now than he did on stage, where he was terrific. Um, but nevertheless, um, really magnificent. But anyway, here's Michael alone with Alan. Alone. 
He doesn't have to defend himself uh, in terms of the other guys. And look what happens when Alan criticizes Emery. Michael stands up for him. Now, again, he's afraid of what Alan's going to think of him if he comes out as gay. But, but he doesn't say, yeah, boy, that Emery. Oh, my God. You know, what a pansy, you know, et cetera, which is a term that Alan uses. Uh, he doesn't do that. He stands up for his friend. Mm. And that shows us something that um, that's very, very important. Well, there are funny little touches. The cowboy cannot sing. He cannot sing happy birthday. <laughs> he does it terribly. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I do miss a few lines here and there, of course, that I thought were really good. Um, but all in all, I think it's a magnificent movie, and um, I, I really believe that um, it is terrific beyond belief, and uh, that everybody, if, if you've ever been thinking of subscribing to Netflix and having, this might be enough of a motivation to have mm -hmm. you do so. Now, Jen, you mentioned a featurette at the end, which mm -hmm. I didn't know about, so mm -hmm. um, I'd love to hear about that as well as your perceptions of the film. Mm -hmm. Um. I'm I'm with you. I I really enjoyed the film. I I actually um because this is the original not the original original but the original revival cast um from a, a few years ago. Um Ryan Murphy who produced uh the movie for Netflix brought the entire cast uh, uh, that played on Broadway a couple of years ago uh, to film it. And so I thought I would just dip in and just see what it was like. And it actually was um, uh, sort of late at night. My husband was working and I just thought, well, I'll just do a little bit. And I ended up watching the whole thing <laughs> and the featurette. Um, <laughs> Uh, I just got totally sucked um, back into it. And I uh, I agree with you about uh, Michael Benjamin Washington's uh, scene. Uh, as everyone, I think, knows, this is the story of this party of a group of gay men in 1968, right before... Um, uh, Stonewall. So it's a very different time um, uh, in, for the gay community. And many of them are closeted. Uh, what the uh, uh, movie adds is just a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end. So that at the beginning, you see each of the men before uh, he arrives at the party. And one of the subtle things that, that, that Joe Mantello, who directed it, both on stage and uh, the movie, one of the subtle things he does is to show what it was like for these men in the outside world. Um, each of them is sort of uh, disparaged in some or slighted mm -hmm. in some way because of, uh, uh, of his um, identity. And then when they come to the party, the party, of course, is supposed to be their refuge mm. where they can just be themselves. And and then there's a, a weird little end um, uh, coda at the end uh, that's showing uh, the different way that they've now um, reemerged from the cocoon uh, of the party. I have always been drawn to this play 
and uh, and I couldn't figure out why. I mean, I'm not a gay guy. So like, <laughs> why am I so into this play? And I think it's the friendships because mm. even though these men go through a very difficult evening, uh, they have this solid friendship. And the party is for um, obviously one of their friends, Harold. And Harold and Michael, you get a sense, are maybe the best friends of the group, the real besties of the group. But during the evening, they really go at one another. And because like with any person that you're a best friend with, you know where to touch that person's nerves. (laughs) And they do. They go right after one another's nerves. And I hope this is not a spoiler. The play is over 50 years old. (laughs) But um, at the end, uh, as Harold's leaving, he turns to Michael and he says, call you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And that, that always just gets me. It's like, these men are are friends and maybe even family. Um, the featurette at the end is really a tribute to Mark Crowley, who we lost earlier this year, um, and who was obviously uh, then alive, talking a bit about putting together uh, the film, but having conversations with the various actors about what it means for them to be in this film. The production was notable when it was on Broadway that it was the first time that the entire cast was uh, out. All uh, nine men in the play uh, were uh, are gay. Uh, Joe Mantello, the director, is gay. Obviously, Mark Crowley, the writer, and the uh, uh, two producers, main producers, are also gay. And so this is one of those, our story by us. And uh, I thought it was, it was just, uh, as Peter says, beautifully filmed, um, really well done, uh, and really worth seeing. I haven't seen it yet, but now you've you both really, really got me wanting to see it, which I did anyway. Um, a couple of things, Jan. You may. Uh, mm-hmm. It sounds like have you not seen the original film? Oh yeah. Oh okay, because oh, that, yeah. just uh, it, they did carry forward that idea of of seeing the uh, the individual people in their lives out in the world in New York City. That's before. true. They did. Yeah, no, but right. uh, but it sounds like maybe that has been tweaked a little bit. And I, uh, Peter, I have a question about uh, what you said about Michael defending Emery in that in that moment when he's alone with Alan in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Do you think that uh, does it sound like was there possibly a line or two added there? Because I think what happens in the original is that Alan says something like, well, you know, he's such a goddamn little pansy. Mm-hmm. And then Michael doesn't actually say anything, but just sort of changes the subject to something else so do you think no the actual line that follows is well yes he is a bit a bit uh he's like a butterfly in heat alan says so he does he does address the issue and that's the first time he defends him even slightly but then um 
um, he he turns against Alan at that moment um, when he says to him, um, no, I don't know that about you, Alan, after Alan says, hey, you know me, live and let live or whatever the line is. Um, that's when he starts turning against him and realizes that it's more important for him to be loyal to his friends than it is to be loyal to Alan, who doesn't know who he is. Well, that sounds really great. And also what you said about the flashbacks, because that was also something that was done very, very effectively in uh, Ryan's, Ryan Murphy's film of The Normal Heart. I remember specifically that, that very long and wrenching monologue that one of the characters has about how his lover got terribly sick on a plane of, you know, of AIDS and soiled himself and then subsequently how the lover um, died in the hospital and then they had to uh, he had to pay to have his body disposed of basically like garbage and we you know that's something that obviously in the play of the normal heart that we do not see but that was all depicted in the movie and it was incredibly incredibly effective and powerful and moving Uh, so I I think it's wise that they took a similar tack here to make it more cinematic, as you said, to make the boys in the band more cinematic, whereas um, just a bunch of monologues and and dialogue are are, are completely acceptable on stage, whereas in a film you might want to have a little bit more of that kind of thing. And I will say it's just a little bit. It's not as extensive as you may um, infer, uh, Mm. which anybody would infer. You know, you you might expect that you're hearing a voiceover over um, the entire scene played out. No, not at all. Mm. Not at all. Just tiny bit seconds only, really. Um, But nevertheless, um, it is um, they're all very well done. Very well done, especially the one with Bernard and Peter Dahlbeck in the swimming pool, um, with is mm. a detail that's especially telling. So um, mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. Mm. <laughs> so uh, the boys in the band, as I mentioned before, is available at Netflix. Uh, we've got uh, se- seemingly two thumbs up from Jan and. Uh, Michael's going to take a look at it this week. I'll take a look at it this week. We'll come back. And if uh, listeners, we'd love to hear what your thoughts on uh, The Boys in the Band is, uh, this Netflix production. Sounds really good. So Michael, uh, Broadway Records is uh, trucking along with uh, three new items this week. Um, Robbie Brazell's uh, new album came out in physical form. I was fortunate enough to get it in the download form uh, early on. And uh, Nick Cordero's new album, which really did amazing on the uh, on the charts, mm. and uh, and Marin and uh, uh, Marin Maisie and Jason Danieli, um, they have a video of Fifty Four Below. So tell us about these things. Yeah, I uh, I just wanted to say I, I won't go on about them, but just really advise everyone to get all three of them. Um, Robbie's album is just delightful. It's called Songs from Inside My Locker. And it's got really wonderful, clever, special material, uh, as well as uh, some some uh, classic material as well. He does a, an aged out medley. Uh, what he a does, great idea. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he does a, a whole section called first penis I saw, which <laughs> you, you might look forward to that. But um, then he also does a Charles Nelson Riley and Paul Lind medley. Uh, and then he does a, a little mini medley of little girls uh, slash captain hooks tango. Uh-huh. Uh, Robbie is a is 
a very talented person with great comic energy, and he really knows how to put on a show. And he's also one of the leading lights at Broadway Records. So I'm glad that um, that he did, uh, in this case, focus attention on his own work and, uh, and, and work to put out this wonderful album. And this is part of the Live at Feinstein's 54 series, uh, which the Marin Maisie and Jason Danieli video is also. I think that had previously come out um, as an album audio only, but this is a wonderful video DVD, Marin Maisie and Jason Danieli, Broadway and Beyond, their last performance together. And I believe... Uh, I believe Marin's last public performance. I'm not sure about that. Um, she was one of the great talents of our age. And to have this wonderful show preserved in video and audio form is, is really just great. It's uh, highlights from both of their careers and plus songs about their, their relationship and their marriage, their wonderful marriage. And she, Marin addresses her illness very directly. Uh, this was at a point where she had been diagnosed and started treatment. Then she had been in remission um, for quite some time, and then the remission ended. So it's it's you know it is quite heartbreaking, of course, on that level, uh, but also uplifting and and beautiful because partly because she's in such beautiful vocal estate and also looks looks really good um with short hair or or a very short wig um and she does not look emaciated she looks and sounds quite healthy uh you would probably never have guessed that she was ill if it if you weren't told that she was um so i would really pick this up and then uh, uh as 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 beautiful and heartbreaking as the show itself is there's a wonderful tribute section um uh, separately on the DVD with with uh, testimonials from incredible people like Kelly O'Hara and Audrey McDonald, Becky Ann Baker, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you'll really, really want to watch that as well. Do not skip that tribute segment. And Nick's album, yes, it's 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 so great to see that it had done so incredibly well on the charts. Um, and this is probably the best produced and best sounding album to come out of uh, live at uh, Feinstein's 54 below that I have heard. Uh, I think that they put everyone involved, put extra effort into it to make it a, a lasting uh, tribute to Nick, who of course is one of the most famous uh, COVID casualties, uh, one of the earliest and, uh, and, uh, partly through efforts of his of his of his widow Amanda Klutz, who who really brought a tremendous amount of awareness of of awareness of his illness in, in every step of it and how he was doing and kept everyone apprised his fans and and all those who love him, but um, Michael J Moritz Jr. who uh, really was the uh, did the piano and and vocals for this show um, and and was the musical director as well. He seems to have been a, a great force behind g putting out this wonderful, wonderful recording. Um, and Nick uh, is in great form. His patter is incredibly charming. His singing is wonderful. The last song uh, on the program is a song that he himself wrote called live your life, wow. which um, actually is about, uh, it's about a, um, a breakup. 
of a relationship and how one has to move on from that. So it's not necessarily mm. what mm. It, it sounds like at first blush, but mm. the fact that it's included there and it's such a great song and they were able to use that as the title of the album is is just wonderfully appropriate in that sense. I um, when you when you hear this, you will understand why it has become so successful, and I think you will really, really enjoy it as a wonderful memento of this person who left us way, way, way too soon. Yeah. James, hmm. there's also a terrific piece, obviously a very sad piece, an interview. Um, excuse me, that the New York Times' is Michael Paulson yeah. did with Amanda yeah. Klutz. Mm-hmm. And so you might want to put that in the show notes mm. along. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, absolutely. I will uh, I will throw that into the show notes as well. That's a great, uh, great discussion. Michael Paulson is doing uh, just a, a amazing work over the New York Times. Um, uh you know, finding these stories. Uh, I don't know. Did we talk about the uh, Godspell, um, the uh, the production of Godspell that was happening up in the Berkshires? Uh, Michael Paulson did the uh, did the New York Times interview up there as well, and also had audio from it as uh, to do it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the other thing about Broadway Records is that um, they are hiring. So yes. <laughs> if you are uh if you want to go work at Broadway Records you're looking for some marketing folks uh so I'll put a link to the um that job listing uh it, the job listing for Broadway Records is over at Playbill so but I will put it into our show notes if you want to uh go work over at uh Broadway Records this might be a good opportunity for one of our listeners so uh also along the um uh, people who are uh, handed lemons and making lemonade. Peter uh, Clark Sayer, uh, who's a cast member of uh, Merrily We Roll Along, uh, is doing some great things with high school students. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, um, Clark Sayer and his um, partner Kenny Looper um, uh, out in California are doing something nice for, uh, high school students. Clark has been a teacher there for a long, long time. And, uh, he decided to do something called theater in the zoom. And, um, so he's commissioned, uh, three separate, uh, stories. And the interesting thing about that is that, uh, he was influenced by the, um, musical three. I don't know if you know of this show. Um, it's not spelled T H R E E. It's spelled mm-hmm. with the number three, three it starts with mm-hmm. the three H R E E. And it was done, um, at the Harold Prince theater in Philadelphia, I believe. And, um, and of course, Harold Prince was involved with it. Three separate stories, three short musicals. Um, one of which, uh, did show up somewhere else where I saw the flight of the lawn chair man. Um, and, uh, so anyway, Clark Sarah, of course, knew Harold Prince. It was directed by him and Merrily. And, uh, while we're at it, we might as well mention that he was in Oliver on Broadway too with Patty Lapone, uh, who he said was terrific to the kids and used to have them over her house to play charades, uh, especially because she was such a good player. And, um, so Clark Sayer, um, went back home, um, to California, uh, 
in a suburb of Santa Barbara and um, has been teaching there, teaching drama and all that. And he thought it would be good to get um, various people uh, to write um, stories. Um, one is musical, two are not. Uh, Relativity um, was actually written by a 17-year-old kid. And uh, The Games We Play uh, was written by... Um, Clark and Kenny, and judging by an established screenwriter, Jurgen Wolf. So uh, I have to say that um, Relativity sounds really um, fascinating to me because it's about the first woman who's accepted into the Zurich, Poly Zurich Polytechnic, and she was Albert Einstein's wife. And um, she uh, had a lot to do with uh, making Einstein who he was. And so that's, <laughs> that, to me, is an astonishingly interesting idea. So um, so I do think that that's going to be uh, something. Uh, Jurgen Wolf wrote one uh, called Judging, which is um, a high school court case. A student jury has to decide whether an incident was a prank, an attempt to help, or harassment. So, uh, so I think that's a, a really good idea for... Um, for um, the um, for a play, and um, the one that Kenny Looper and Clark Sarrow call the games we play, um, which is a, 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 <laughs> that requires audience participation, which is really great fun. So it's it's a riff on Shark Tank. Let's make a deal in Family Feud. Um, so uh, that's what it is. Now, if you want to um, tie into this, Marky Calendars. It's November thirteenth and fourteenth at seven p.m. That's Pacific time, by the way. So um, what does that mean for us? Um, 10. Um, so, um, so uh, I'm going to give the website and you can take more from there, which is www.dptheater, theater spelled the British way, R-E, company.org, dptheatercompany.org. And um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because, um, you know, it's so wonderful that high school theater is finding a way to make things happen. And I see so many things of this nature that uh, people are saying, no, we are not going to stop doing things just because we have to stop doing things. We're not. We're going to find uh, other ways of doing it. We're going to do Zoom, so on and so forth. And um, I think it's really quite wonderful because, <laughs> you know, in a persecution, there's no question that people rise to the fore. And this is a a medical persecution and uh, we are finding a way of um, they are finding a way of doing it right. So good for them. That's great. I'm going to have that uh, habit already in the, in the show notes. So if you're looking for the information about this and a way in which to uh, view it and get involved, I'll have that in the show notes. So uh, Jan came up with a great idea a few weeks ago and originally we were actually going to do it last week before, for that awesome debate that was had on Tuesday night. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep sighing. But. Talk about uh, mm -hmm. cacophony. Uh, <laughs> that was the presidential debate between mm. um, uh, yes, Trump and we know Joe who. Biden. <laughs> uh, well, you know, some of our international listeners might, might well, not have caught fair. this. That's might fair, not, yeah. Not have uh, caught this. You so. know, considering what happened later in the week, it seems so long ago now. It does. Yeah. It's, it seems like uh, seems like 30. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, Jan came up with this idea that we should talk about best plays and musicals that have focused directly on American politics. So, uh, Jan, given that it was your idea and you wrote a whole piece on Broadway and Me about it. Let uh, let me hand it off to you and uh, tell us uh, what your thoughts are on this. Well, I, I did think that it, 
would be a good topic to discuss in the lead up uh, to the uh, debate. But uh, last week was such an incredible week, not just in uh, this campaign. I think it was an incredible week in American history. I mean, Mm -hmm. we started the week with the New York Times story about uh, Trump's taxes and the mm. fact that he had paid so little uh, in taxes because he'd lost so much money over the years. And then we went to the debate itself, um, which many, many people have described as a shit show, and mm-hmm. they were being generous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. abominable. And then we had uh, the news that... Uh, President Trump, uh, the First Lady Melania Trump, and many close aides and and people who have been associated with the president have been um, have tested positive for COVID uh, to the point in the president's case that he had to be uh, taken to Walter Reed uh, Hospital. So it has just been an incredible week. Um, I almost thought maybe, you know, James was prescient about holding off this topic Uh of shows (laughs) until um, uh, right now. What I found interesting just in general, and then I'll go into a couple of shows that that struck me, was that for the most part, the shows have been critical of politics uh, in Hmm. uh, this country, either just out and out talking about uh, how the system can, the political system can undermine the ideals of people who go into politics or satirizing uh, either Mm -hmm. particular uh, politicians or the process uh, itself. And that seems to be the case, whether it's musicals or uh, 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 a straight plays. However, um, I have to start off with my all-time favorite political <laughs> uh, show, which does not do that, um, and that is 1776. Mm. I just uh, literally adore that show. Mm. It is the show about the uh, uh, events leading up to the signing of the Declaration of of, uh, Independence. Uh, As I said in my uh, blog post description of it, it is a show that I watch every 4th of July. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I've heard Peter say uh, on some earlier show that the marvel, one of the marvels of this show is that Obviously, we know how it ends, (laughs) but while watching it, you are really worried. Are they going to make it? Are they going to be able to write this Declaration of Independence? Are they going to be able to come together? And I say that it is is not uh, critical, and yet... There are moments when Peter Stone, the book writer, is aware of some of the faults in our political system. He talks about the system of slavery uh, in the in one of the uh, well-known songs uh, in the show. But, uh, 
I've seen it many times, probably not as many times as Peter and Michael. <laughs> I've seen it because nobody has, but I've seen it um, uh, many times, including the original production, which I saw from a $5 seat um, uh, way up in the balcony um, when it uh, first um, uh, uh, hit Broadway. And uh, I, I just have such a fondness for the production that similarly, as we were talking about with boys on the band, uh, a lot of that cast was uh, uh, filmed um, for the movie that I watch uh, every year. And I've seen it several times on stage. It's never lived up to um, that production uh, for me. I think we were supposed to get another production this year uh, Mm. before Mm. Uh, everything was canceled. Um, once it plays again, I will go see it because that's the uh, American Repertory Theater production, right. yeah, which is uh, which is women, uh, all, not so much all women as much as no men. Right. I was going to uh-huh. say all people who identify yes um, uh, 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 as women. Uh, yeah, I'll go see it when it when it when it comes, and and it will come. They they ART has uh, committed to rescheduling that for Broadway. Great. Okay, so that's that's my my number one show, and now I'll shut up and let the guys talk. <laughs> well, I I, I want to put out a uh, uh, a question for the, all three of you. Um, our our, our dear IBDB, the inter- Internet Broadway Database, has listed 1776 as a musical comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> how do we feel about that? <laughs> well, I suppose in the classic sense it is. I mean, nobody dies at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of death at the end. <laughs> the Battle of Yorktown. <laughs> Well, okay. Yeah, there's no, there's no question that death is mentioned um, here and there in the show. No question. Um, but um, no, uh, it, it, it is spectacular, and I, I still remember jumping up in my seat at one point towards the end of it and saying, "There is no United States of America. It never happened. It couldn't have happened." And they're breaking the news to us the nicest way they can in the musicals. So, so I do understand what we're talking about here. <laughs> So, uh, Peter, what is on your list of uh, great American or great great political plays and musicals? Well, uh, what came to mind immediately, which a show that I dare say will never be done again, but of course, so many things I say have never been, will never be done again have been done again. But this was McBird, M A C B I R D, which was produced in 1967, mm-hmm. and Robert Frustein, who's nobody's fool, thought it was one of the great satires of all time. Barbara Garson was the woman who wrote it, and what it was was uh, Macbeth. Uh, superimposed on uh, what was happening in American politics at that time. And Barbara Garson has always denied that um, she didn't mean to imply that Lyndon Johnson um, Mm -hmm. had anything to do with the assassination of John F. Kennedy, but um, are, as he's referred to in the play as Ken O'Dunk, as a reference to Duncan. in, in Macbeth. So uh, she always denied that, but it's sort of hard not to come away with that feeling. Um, what it, it, it lasted for a year. And unfortunately, real events took 
place mm-hmm. that uh, totally stymied the play and uh, a very sad event, of course, and that was Robert Kennedy's assassination because in the play, in the play, um, it's established that Lyndon Johnson did give way to Robert Kennedy that indeed he was um, in the, in the next election, he would beat uh, Lyndon Johnson in the primaries and would indeed become president. And two things happened that uh, made that impossible, not just the assassination, but on March 30th of uh, 1968, um, there was Lyndon Johnson saying, I'm not running again. So uh, the play became very moot at that point and um, moot, I guess you don't say very moot, uh, but anyway, um, and under those circumstances, it closed shortly thereafter, and uh, that was the end of it. And really, um, I, I don't know if even as a period piece that somebody would wind up doing it, but um, because it's a little, well, who knows? I mean, there's a rock group called the Dead Kennedys, so who knows, or at least there was, but, um, you know, who knows? But the thing is, it, it would seem to be in bad taste to, to be dealing with uh, the fact that um, Robert Kennedy beat Lyndon Johnson and became the new president when indeed um, we know that um, in June of that year, uh, events happened that made that impossible. But, uh, but believe me, at the time, McBird was big news, big news indeed. Peter, in when I was researching MacBird, um, it's got an exclamation point at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. It was even recorded. You can get the whole, if you want to really know about it, you, there's actually um, a two-disc um, record that was made at the time. I and mean, that's how popular the play was when it first came out. Stacey Keach, um, Rue McClanahan. Yeah, what a cast. William huh? Devane. Yeah. Uh, John Clark. Uh, John so, Clark, yeah. who married Lynn Redgrave and left because mm-hmm. uh, he married Lynn Redgrave. Um, <laughs> he had other matters to attend to. But, um, yeah, really, uh, Stacey Keach and Rue McClanahan at the early stages of their career. And you can imagine Rue McClanahan, especially as a crazy Lady Macbeth takeoff. I mean, that's that's just so delicious to think about. So that alone might make people buy a turntable and get a hold of the uh, two-record set. It's uh, recorded on Evergreen Label. It's uh, a serial number EVR004. So what were one, two, and three, Peter? Is that a trivia yeah, question from the beginning? For the it's future? not my trivia question this week. Maybe it will be, but I'd have to look up the answer. <laughs> Wait, Tony Janicki's got an answer already. Well, yeah, he does, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, uh, so tell us what your uh, what your player musical regarding politics is oh well first on the uh subject of peter mentioned whether or not that that show would ever be done again another one i wanted to mention that i think i mentioned in the past and i think this is quite obscure but it's a show called red white and maddox oh i saw that yes and it was about lester garfield maddox senior who was the 75th governor of the U.S. state of Georgia from 1967 to 1971. And there is a musical about him, and it was on TV uh, sometime around then. And I remember seeing it. I just looked it up on YouTube, and all I could immediately find was the closing credits. Um, But you can look that up if you like, or maybe I'll I'll send the, the link. And that's something that, I that made quite an impression on me uh, when I was was very young, and I would love to see that again. So I'm going to s- have to do some research and see if I can get a hold of that. Um, 
Maddox was extremely conservative and very, 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 very racist. And it's all about that and about how basically he's, well, <laughs> he's kind of left alone in the world at the end of the, of the musical because his hatred is resulted in that uh you really want to look that up if you get a chance um i noticed i looked up uh pulitzer prize winning musicals and of the 10 of them Mm -hmm. uh three of them are i would say directly about politics so that's interesting one is fiorello uh, another is hamilton and uh the third one is of the i sing Uh. and that's interesting because I would say those are all three very different types and styles of show. Um, Hamilton, I would say, is another example, uh, Jan mentioned, of a, a show that is not necessarily critical of politics and seems to show how it how they can work <laughs> sometimes, you know, um, mm-hmm. to accomplish things. Of the I Sing is, is very funny and very, very satirical. And Fiorello, <laughs> Fiorello, I would say, is a, I would say is a, is a very uh, heartfelt and uh, sometimes very amusing, but also serious and sometimes very satirical musical comedy uh, or musical play. So um, that's, Interesting that, I mean, three out of 10 is, is quite a high percentage. Uh, so if you want to write a musical that might win a Pulitzer, <laughs> uh, you might want to think of make, giving it a political, a political band, a political subject. Well, for that matter, I'm always surprised that 1776 didn't win the Pulitzer that year. Mm. It was The Great White Hope, uh, which certainly is a fine play. Uh, it hasn't had the history that 1776 has, but... Um, the Great White Hope needs a million people to uh, be in it. For that matter, so does 1776. But, uh, but really, I'm very surprised that 1776 didn't win that year. I, anyway, I wanted to get just a couple of um, straight plays uh, sure. in there, mm-hmm. and and maybe of a more serious vein. Um, the two that uh, that I've been thinking of, um, I see uh, Rob Johnston uh, uh, noted uh, the Crucible, which is one of just you know, my perennial favorites, but um, I was thinking of the city of conversation. Mm, I have that on uh, my list, Jan. Yes. In 2014. Yeah. And um, then I'm going to leave that uh, 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 for you. Then I'll, I'll talk instead about other desert cities, uh-huh. which was a 2012 show by John Robin Bates that doesn't deal directly with the political process, but, uh, tells the story of this family, of this very well-off California family. The mother and father are friends of Nancy and Ronald Reagan's. Uh, they were uh, financial supporters of Reagan's uh, campaigns. And the play that we see, the story that we see, centers around uh, their daughter has written a book. They've been somewhat estranged from her. And she has written a book about the disappearance uh, of her brother. And her brother had gotten in the 1960s involved with the uh, underground, uh, uh, the radical underground movements and disappeared. And, the family doesn't really, the parents really don't want this disclosed. 
And as they go back and forth with their daughter about her book, some secrets are uh, revealed and the whole idea of where politics sit in terms of the personal um, uh, is uh, explored. I saw it when it was uh, off-Broadway at Lincoln Center in 2014, and then I believe it moved upstairs to the Beaumont so that it would qualify as a Broadway play with the original cast pretty much intact, except that... um, uh, the sister of the mother was replaced and I'm stumbling on the names of the actresses uh, who uh, did that role, but it was a a, a show that really hit me. And I think has resonance now when people are so divided in terms of their political allegiances and how it has strained uh, many families. So um, so I'll leave you to talk about studio conversation if you're interested in doing so, Michael, because it is. <laughs> well, it was a wonderful play. Uh, I looked up the blurb for it. It says in 1979, Washington, D.C. was a place where people actually talked to each other, <laughs> <laughs> where adversaries fought it out on the Senate floor and then smoothed it out over drinks and hors d'oeuvres. But it was all about to change in this place spanning 30 years and six presidents presidential administrations, Hester Ferris throws Georgetown dinner parties that can change the course of Washington's politics. But when her beloved son suddenly turns up with an ambitious Reaganite girlfriend and a shocking uh, new, uh, well, it's something that she's really not prepared for and things get really interesting. This is a play by Anthony Jardina and it was done in a wonderful, wonderful production at Mm -hmm. the Mitzi Newhouse with Jan Maxwell Mm -hmm. in a transcendent performance as Hester. Uh, So uh, if you haven't, if you did not get to see that, I would certainly at least seek it out as a script Mm -hmm. and read it. And another play that I wanted to mention um, is Farragut North. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I didn't see. Yeah, you didn't see? No, did not. Oh, really, really great by Bo Willimon. And this was 2008 off-Broadway, loosely based on former Governor Howard Dean's 2004 Democratic primary election campaign for U.S. President. Um, John Gallagher Jr. played the, uh, the central role, and it was so well written. It was a, a real, um, it shows how someone uh, can be a, a, a tremendous rising star in politics and then almost immediately thrown to the bottom of the heap, uh, which is kind of what happens during the course of the play. I won't say anything more, um, but it, it it really was wonderful. And I hope to see that again somewhere. Uh, I, a movie version was made that wasn't very good. Um, oh, yeah. The Ides called, of March, it was called. Right, yeah, the, the Ides of yeah. March, uh, uh, George Clooney and Brian Gosling, I believe. Um, it wasn't very good. I really wanted to see Farragut North. It had a short run because when I tried to buy a ticket, it was sold out. It didn't mm. extend. Um, I really hope that so- someone does it again. I'd like to see it. 
Same. As I mentioned before, I saw the world premiere because it was one of the plays at Dayton uh, Playhouse's Future Fest, uh, oh. where they take new plays, and um, six are done every summer, and um, it was the winner. We, uh, I was one of five judges that declared mm-hmm. it the winner, and certainly um, it went on, and certainly Bo Willimon has gone on <laughs> and, uh, to have mm-hmm. a wonderful career in cable TV shows, so uh, mm-hmm. he's really done, and I don't mean public access, believe me. Um, <laughs> so... Um, so it was really thrilling to see that uh, emerge right then and there uh, in a community theater production, which was very well done. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so we have uh, some of our listeners are chiming in here. We talk about advising consent. Uh, mm-hmm. Tony Janicki is uh, talking about that. Uh, as Jan mentioned, Rob Johnson said The Crucible. Uh, Paul Whitty is talking about uh, Call Me Madam. Uh, yeah, yeah, which nobody can deny. No question. I'd like to mention The Gang's All Here. Um, not a well-known play written by Lawrence and Lee, who did everything from The Ninth Row Spent in Jail, which I'm still surprised never got a Broadway production, but it's got a million uh, community theater productions, mm-hmm. um, to MAME. Um, so they uh, were all, and, but they occasionally went into political forays, including the first uh, Monday in October, which we're about to have, and um, uh, about the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. But the Gangs Hall here is one that isn't terribly well known. And it was essentially about, not that they used his name, Warren G. Harding, who until recently was considered the worst president in the United States. So uh, here he is, uh, a man who is not prepared to be president. He's a compromised candidate. He gets elected and he screws things up terribly. He picks wrong people for his cabinet and they, they turn out to be corrupt. Many went to jail. And there's a very nice speech at the end of the play where he says, you know, you know, in high school, sometimes they have you uh, go and be a politician for a day. They let you be mayor for a day, you know, that type of thing. And that used to happen a lot. I don't know if it still happens um, in high schools, but they did do that. They used to, it was sort of an on the job training type of thing, uh, a preview of what you would do if indeed you had these jobs. So uh, there was everything I think from, you know, mayor to dog catcher. And he said, wouldn't it be great if that were the situation with me, that I would just be president for one day and then we could get the people really knew what they were doing, taking over. So uh, The Gang's All Here was not a success on Broadway. It ran about 100 performances, I think, something like that. But uh, that speech has always remained mythy since uh, since I've read the play. Peter, did I, I did I miss something while I was searching this? The, the Gang's All Here is listed twice in IBDB. One is a musical and one's a play. Yeah, the play is by Lawrence and Lee. Yeah, so, and um, the musical's got a book by Oscar Hammerstein II. Isn't that something? You know, I'm just reading Getting to Know You Again, uh, which is uh, a biography of um, Oscar Hammerstein. And um, (laughs) even uh, I'm only up to page 58, but it's it's already fascinating about who he was and how he became who he was. So uh, so I haven't got to the gangs all here Hmm. yet. This one uh, (laughs) lasted um, less than a month on 1931. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm still in the twenties, um, so <laughs> I'll get to it soon. I may have more to say next week about it. Twenty-three but, performances. Wow, wow! You know, there's another one. There's another one that was very interesting called "An Evening with Richard Nixon," 
yep. in which George S. Irving, uh, when you think of it, it think of, if you know what George S. Irving looked like, he was a Tony winner for Irene. He was in a million <laughs> musicals, even going back to Oklahoma, where he used his original name. But um, George S. Irving played Nixon. I didn't see it, but I wish I had, because I, I think he would be fabulous. But it was by Gore Vidal. In a way, it was by Gore Vidal. In a way. Because what Gore Vidal did was actually take words that Nixon actually spoke hmm. and put them into a play. Every every line in it was something that he had said, and uh, it showed a massive contradictions and lies and all sorts of things. Imagine if a play were written now on a similar idea. Well, there Imagine. is a woman named Sarah Cooper. I don't know if you guys yes. know Sarah Cooper. She's... Yes. Uh, She's a writer and comedian, and she takes all of uh, Trump's uh, direct quotes and she lip syncs uh, them. Lip syncs them on on Twitter and oh, TikTok God. and things like that. It uh, she very funny. It, it, it makes it it makes it bearable to listen. Mm -hmm. uh, so so funny, but uh, very very interesting uh, the way in which. Times have changed, but they're still the same. Uh, mm -hmm. Jan, you were about to say something. Um, I, was, well. uh, I was just going to say that um, uh, Jerome Lawrence and Robert uh, uh, Lee did a number of uh, uh, plays uh, in the political arena, as did uh, Gore Vidal, who's um, uh, the best man, mm -hmm. um, is clearly one of the uh, probably the play that gets the political play that gets um, uh, done uh, the most. Um, well, that's yeah. And, and on that note, uh, you know, of course, there are many plays and musicals that are not directly about politics, but but certainly uh, touch on them greatly. For example, Lawrence and Lee's Inherit the Wind. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And uh, exactly. musicals, musicals like Billy Elliot and Chess and Lil Abner. Uh, mm -hmm. There's so many, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. so That's many fair. when you think of it. Yeah. That's fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I, when I put together my list and I added two more today, and you guys have even come up with ones that still aren't on the list. Um, I think the number uh, this morning uh, added up to 50. Mm. Wow. Mm. <laughs> and, well, we should. And, and just American. I didn't do things like, you know, uh, dealing with other people's politics. Um, we've got enough problems with our own. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And on that note, we should certainly note that, that some of Shakespeare's greatest plays are uh, absolutely. critical. Yeah, that's what oh, yeah. yeah. oh, I mean, yeah. arguably, three, you know, some of the greatest, Richard the Third, yeah. Macbeth. Uh, even though he, do we do we think he was sort of a real person? <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and uh, Julius assist. Caesar. Julius well, Caesar. is Shakespeare a real person? You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we all know Christian Borle, but do we know Shakespeare? <laughs> uh -huh. There have been a lot of plays also, curiously, about the Clintons. Mm. Yeah, uh, Hillary yeah. and Clinton. And domesticated, uh, Bruce Norris play that uh, from 2013 that doesn't invoke their names, but it's about a wife whose husband has cheated publicly. Um, so, you know, that sort of 
vein. Well, when I was last in London, um, I went looking for CDs uh, of London shows, and it is impossible to find, just like it is here, to find any store that even sells CDs anymore. But there was one with a modest selection, I would say maybe 20 show CDs. And one of them was Clinton the Musical. Who'd expect to find that in England? But there it was. And there was a musical called Clinton the Musical. Uh, Carrie Butler was in that, wasn't Carrie Butler? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Peter, I I have a a suggestion for future future, um, uh, trivia questions. You know, uh, you could be something posed along the lines of... uh, who received the most uh, votes in a presidential election that was uh, in a musical? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, because people are going to go, oh, received the most votes. It would have been a president, but it could be the twist is that it's Hillary Clinton because she mm. won by three million votes mm, and still right, lost right. the election. Mm-hmm. So um, Juliet Green talks about uh, All the Way. We haven't talked about Brian Cranston yeah, and All yeah. the Way yet. Yeah, I mentioned uh, Lyndon Johnson, but this is uh, a far more accurate. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it's got to be far mm-hmm. more accurate than McBird, no question. But uh, yeah, um, and what was the the, the one we just saw? Society, society right? The great yeah. Society, yeah, yeah. yeah. not was, as that, good, not as good. I don't. Yeah. know. No, you know, everybody feels that way. I think yeah. um, that it wasn't as good. Um, but um, Sunrise at Campobello, yeah, um, yep. about Franklin Delano Roosevelt, yep. and it's so. There's a film. See the film because it is so amazingly poignant at the beginning of the film where he's roughhousing with his sons. You know, they're they're pseudo wrestling on the carpet and all that. And, you know, the dramatic irony there is that, you know, that he's going to be um, in a wheelchair very soon. And um, and to see him healthy and robust and all that Mm -hmm. is is just um, amazingly poignant. But it is about the fact that can a man in that circumstance run for office? Can he dare to? Uh, does he, is he up for it? And um, not only was he up for it, but um, needless to say, he ran um, longer than any other president. And um, if the amendment holds, uh, he always will have that mm-hmm. uh, record yeah. of 12 years, which would have been 16 had he not died. Yeah. And then there's uh, Bloody Bloody, Andrew Jackson. Oh, Bloody Bloody. Yeah. How is yeah. It was in the news the last two weeks or something. I, I sort of remember. It I saw a reference to it, too. Yeah. Something. And I, I can't remember what it was. It was if it was tangential. Well, or is, direct. I think he is uh, uh, Donald Trump's favorite predecessor. <laughs> I thought so, Scalia was. <laughs> well, um, and uh, uh uh, a, you know, a musical by Michael Friedman, who also... Oh, that, that's why, because Michael Friedman's um, re- recordings were just released. Ah, okay. Uh, the, the new Michael Friedman recordings, uh, okay. Never Heard Before stuff was out. So, yeah, that's uh, these are all uh, yeah. things that might get us through uh, the next yes, couple of months. Yeah, yeah, the next yeah. couple of months, uh, a good list anything i'll give you all one more to pick that you must talk about so peter what is your must talk about uh to wrap up for this morning i'm going to say an american daughter by wendy wasserstein Mm. by the Uh, way um it was made into a tv movie called trial by media they changed the i um, didn't know that yeah i know i know i mean yeah that's what it's called it was a tv movie um and um but this is about the fact that if you do one tiny little thing wrong, 
one tiny little thing that even isn't wrong, but is subject to interpretation, it can really torpedo your campaign. That um, there's still, uh, when the play was written anyway, there was still a feeling that um, candidates had to be lily white. And, um, and I mean that in terms of behavior. Uh, more than I do about uh, race, and that they had to just be perfect, that if any little thing could be misinterpreted by the media, um, that you would be put on trial in essence, and uh, it could sink your campaign. Just for something that was said out of innocence or a quick quip, um, something said too quickly, uh, it, it, it can really turn people against you tremendously. And um, that's true. So um, it, it it's a play that... Um, was very different for Wendy Wasserstein, and I was delighted to see her tackle this subject and do it so well. And there's another person who died much too young. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, boy, we it, it's a real reminder that we should all cherish life while we can, because who knows what's coming down the road. Certainly many of the people we're talking about didn't know. Yes, Jen. Uh, Peter, you were uh, you just brought up an American daughter. I was going to bring up Michael John Lacuse's uh, First Lady Suite and the First Daughter Suite. Oh, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. forgot that one. Mm-hmm. So uh, yes. I'm glad you 51. brought up American. <laughs> 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 In my flag is the 51st star. <laughs> All right, Mike. Uh, Michael Portantier, what's your last one of the morning? Well, the only show uh, on my list that I didn't get to mention was Evita. Ah, and that yeah. is certainly oh, apropos yeah. because it shows how, I, I mean, if you do read up on mm-hmm. uh, Ava Perone and Juan Perone, aside from what you see in the musical, uh, I think most people would have to conclude that they were fascist dictators. And yet uh, both of them, both of them, and especially her, being so beloved that you know, we've seen the uh, the actual footage of her actual funeral and and the the, the tremendous grief and the the, the, the uh, people thousands and thousands of people in the streets and finally past her coffin and and I guess it um, you know it certainly relates to what's happening now and how mm-hmm. uh, how there can be so many supporters for this person who somehow managed to become president of the United States. Mm-hmm. I kept my promise. Please keep your distance. <laughs> so uh, I, I saw a meme on Facebook that uh, was talking about Hamilton and it said, you know, uh, you have to recognize that Hamilton is a musical and uh, is not historically accurate. A lot of the production numbers never happened. So, uh, <laughs> right, right. So, okay, so wrapping up for this morning, Jan. Yeah, just one more. And this is a show that I have not seen, but I think um, uh, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it. And it's um, It Can't Happen Here. Mm-hmm. Um, this was mm-hmm. based on the Sinclair mm-hmm. Lewis no- uh, novel from 1935 about a demagogue um, who. Uh, uh, campaigns on the platform of uh, patriotism and traditional values uh, wins the presidency and immediately suspends constitutional rights um, Mm. and imposes fascism on the uh, country and the uh, aided by a group of paramilitary uh, troops who are loyal to him, not the country. Um, the, the novel was immediately 
made into a play uh, that uh, ran um, in 1936 before uh, that uh, uh, campaign. Uh, four years ago, as the Trump campaign was picking up steam, uh, Tony Tacone, um, uh, who uh, I believe ha- uh, heads Berkeley Rep, um, did a new production uh, of it. And that production is going to be a radio play that will air next week, uh, September, uh, I'm sorry, October 13th. Um, I'm certainly going to listen to it. I urge everyone to listen to it. I urge everyone uh, to vote, as um, people mm. have been saying on this show for uh, the, the, the past <laughs> month or so. Um, and it is really, really serious. This is the vote of, of, of not just our lives. This is the vote of our democracy. This mm. is a really important time for people to vote. And what, do, what, what might happen, what could happen if people don't vote, um, uh, this play uh, reveals. So um, even though I haven't yet seen it or heard it, uh, it can't happen here. This makes me think of somebody should musicalize The Handmaid's Tale, the musical, exclamation oh, point. God, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so it did happen here. Um, so uh, that wraps it up for our list of uh, political plays and musicals. Um, certainly not exhaustive, but just uh, some 51 of our favorites <laughs> that uh, we've talked about this morning. So before we head on to trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play. Anywhere that you can listen to your finer podcast, you can find Broadway Radio's, Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me. And Jan can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com as well as uh, links to all the things that we've talked about. Well, most of the things we've talked about today. I think I've gotten all of them, but I've certainly missed a few. Uh, I also want to uh, let the listeners know um, we've had a number of, uh, of, uh, of podcast sponsors in the last uh, last couple of weeks and last couple of months on all of our podcasts at Broadway Radio. Um, even if some of these uh, sponsors are not for you, go to their website and use the, uh, the link from our show notes and click and go there and just check out their offerings. All, all that we can promise them is that you will check out their offerings. Certainly, you don't have to buy anything, but if you want to check out ExpressVPN and all the other people that have, uh, have sponsored us in the last couple of uh, months, check that out. It really helps them understand uh, that we do have a listener base that's interested in their stuff. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? The question was, the star of a Pulitzer Prize-winning musical, who also repeated the role in his film version, is mentioned in a song from a 1965-66 Tony-nominated musical. Who's the star? What's the song? And what are the two musicals? Well, Rudy Valley appeared in How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, both on stage and film, and is mentioned in the song That's How Young I Feel from the Tony-nominated MAME. Cheryl Hodges Selden was the first to get it, followed by Paul Witte, Tony Janicki, Richard Carey, Greg Pavlak, Brigadude, 
Jack Leshner, Ingrid Gammerman, Guy Matthews, and Robert Lobiondo. This week's question, what's the longest word to be found in any musical theater song? <laughs> All right. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Jan Simpson, Michael Portantier, and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.